0: Well, good morning. As you're still finding your seat, we want to welcome you to Broadway 1109. We're going to invite you to stand and worship with us this morning.
1: Nothing can separate Even if I ran away Cause your love never fails I know I still make mistakes You have new mercies for me every day But your love never fails You say the same. You say the same through the
2: ages.
1: Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the oceans raise, I don't have to be afraid. Because I know that you love me And your love never fails The wind is strong and the water's deep I'm not alone here on these open seas Your love never fails Chasm is far too wide. I never thought I'd reach the other side, but your love never fails. You stay, you stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain. The joy comes in the morning. And when the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid. Because I know that you love me, and your love never
2: fails.
1: Together you make you make all things work together for my good, you make all things work together for my good you make all things work together for my good you make all things work together for my good. You make, you make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. You stay, you stay the same through the ages. Love never changes, there may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning, oh, oh, oh. and when the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid, because I know that you love me, and your
2: love never fails.
0: Amen. You can be seated this morning for just a minute. We do serve a faithful God, and we are glad that you're with us here this morning at Broadway 1109. We're excited for what God is going to do this morning. If you're a guest with us, if you're new here, we're especially excited that you're here. We are honored that you would spend an hour out of your week with us this morning. Uh, If you would, there's a little connect card on the side of your bulletin. It's a little perforated tab. We hope you got a bulletin as you came in. If not, you can still grab one from one of our ushers back at the welcome desk. Uh, But if you got one of those, we hope that you'll fill that out, tear it off, and you can drop that either in the offering plate here in just a minute, Or if you missed that, that's okay. You can drop it at our welcome desk at the back of the sanctuary at the end of service. Uh, That's just our way of getting to know you. We're not going to sell your information or anything like that. We just simply want to get to know you a little bit, uh, know your family and how we can best minister to you, uh, through the coming days here at Broadway Baptist. We are excited that you're here. We hope you're reading your bulletin and the screens as you come in and exit so that you can stay up to date on all the things that are happening around our church. We're excited about what God is doing and we hope that you'll continue to join us in that. Uh, we're going to pray this morning and then let's continue with our worship. Holy father, we are so thankful that we can worship you, that we can approach your throne with boldness through the grace and the love that you show us in your son Jesus Christ, Lord, that he has paid our debt, that we are wiped clean, that we are uh, made pure in your sight, Lord, that we can worship you. God, we pray now that uh, your spirit would move in this place, that we would be uh, stirred to respond to you this morning. God, we love you. We pray now that you're honored in our worship and our exaltation, that you are lifted high because you're the only one worthy of it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we continue to worship together this morning?
1: The dark tried to hide you And steal you away Death tried to keep you side of the grave. The enemy fought, He, he tried, but he lost. You cannot be stopped. Let's sing together this morning. When we cried for freedom, you tore down the walls. Our burdens, You carry it all. Our fears and our failures hang dead on the cross. You cannot be stopped. We declare this morning, Mover of mountains, Breaker of chains, Jesus is triumphing over the grave sing hallelujah the battle is won nothing can stand against our God we stand on your victory and shout out your praise miracle maker you're mighty to save Awesome in power, relentless in love, you cannot be stopped. There in the mouth, breaker of chains, Jesus' triumph over the grave, sing hallelujah, the battle is won, nothing can stand against our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. There is nothing. There is nothing. Declare it this morning. There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God, there is nothing. There is nothing. There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God, stop our God. there is nothing. <laughs> Luther, up Breaker of chains Jesus' triumph Over the grave Sing hallelujah The battle is won Nothing can stand Against our God Sing hallelujah The battle is won Nothing can stand
2: Against our God
0: A moment. I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward as we pray together. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made. Lord, we thank you for sending your Son, who lived a sinless life, who was perfect in every way, fully God and fully man. Lord, we thank you that He submitted to your will and that He died our death, took our place on the cross, and took the death that we deserve, the penalty that we earned, that we could have eternal life in you. Lord, we love you and we pray that you're honored this morning, Lord, as we give. Our tithes and our offerings, God, we pray that you would use those to further your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and a righteous face. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but hold me trust in Jesus' name. Let's sing that again. I hope is built on
2: nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness.
1: I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in
0: Jesus' name. Won't you stand and join us as we sing the chorus.
1: Christ the
0: Come With trumpet sound Oh may I then In him be found This is our prayer this morning Dressed in his
1: righteousness alone Faultless and before the throne Christ
2: alone born a stone we made strong in the Savior's love through the
0: sovereign over everything in our lives, Lord. God, we thank you that you are the author and perfecter of our faith, a solid cornerstone for us. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated.
3: I'm Scott Dawson, and I want to invite you and your group to attend a very special conference. It's after Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's, or the Martin Luther King holiday weekend. It's called Strength to Stand. This year's conference theme is hidden. You know, there's two ways you can look at that. One is playing hide and seek. To me, I always think about when Adam and Eve, after they had sinned, they tried to hide in the Garden of Eden. We can't hide in the presence of God. So what I'd like to do is turn this in the eyes and the minds of today's students to be hidden in Christ. Our theme this year comes from 1 Peter. It's chapter five, verse 10, and it says this, it says, and after you'd suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, listen what he's gonna do, restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. I believe that's the message for today's generation. Now, I understand you can go anywhere in the world you want to. Why would I ask you to come to this conference? Because I believe we're living in critical times. We've got an incredible conference lineup. We've got powerful speakers like Jason Cook, Ed Newton, Wade Morris, Algernon Tennyson, and Jonathan Evans, who is the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys football team. Worship will be led by Russia Fools. And in January, they'll be joined by Forever Free. We'll also have incredible concerts with December's conference lineup featuring Tarn Wells and Lecrae. In January, Hillsong, Young and Free, and our very special guest, John Crist. We want you to be there this winter. Now, listen, if you just take a breath and think about it for three months, it's going to already be passed. Go ahead now, make your decision to join us at Strength the Stand 2019-20 conference season. You're gonna be glad you came. I, in fact, we've been doing this for 31 years. We've never tried to advertise we're a perfect conference, but you do have my word. We will serve you as the body of Christ and to make sure the atmosphere is set for God to move among us. We all get into this so we can see students' lives changed. Let's join together, meet in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee after Christmas before New Year's or the Martin Luther King holiday weekend. It's called Strength to Stand. I want to see you there. Go ahead and make plans. Get more information at strengththestand.com. We'll see you there.
4: That is Scott Dawson. He's an evangelist from Alabama. He, he was a youth speaker when I was in youth group. Let me tell you what we got going on where's Zach Bauer at? Zach's right there. Zach has rented a cabin in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. It's over MLK weekend, and the cabin sleeps 48 people. So, Zach's going to bring eight chaperones, one's Miss Sherry Osmond, as she leaves with the children right now, and 40 children, 40 middle and high schoolers. We want you to come. This is an outstanding concert, so, in conference, so that, so, parents you need to be thinking about it. go ahead and put on your calendar now it's going to be they leave on Saturday morning here from the church and they get back you know they're out of school on that Monday for MLK holiday they get back on that Monday evening around six o'clock or so whenever they get here from the, the, the place so uh, that's going to be a lot of fun uh, all middle and high schoolers will have plenty of chaperones we've got a huge cabin I want you to go ahead and start thinking about let Zach know today that you want to go to uh, the Strength to Stand conference uh, down, down there. All right, we are, in, we are studying the Bible. And go ahead and pull out your Bible if you have it. We're in the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12. We are, this is the second part of a sermon series on addictions. And today we're going to look at, also while you're pulling things out, go ahead and pull out your bulletin insert here so you can follow along. Um, there's one fill in the blank for this for this morning. You can see that. We're talking about... Uh, and we'll, we'll wrap it up next week for our addiction study. We're talking about what happens when maybe you know somebody that's struggling with some sin or they're involved in some addiction. How do we confront them? How do we speak truth in love? Have you ever heard that statement before, speaking truth in love? And that, that's really our main uh, theme. And um, we're going to talk about today how you're able to do that. Because the thing is, if somebody's struggling with something or they're involved in something they shouldn't be, That all they do is hear lies, and all they do is tell themselves lies. It takes believers such as us, we're the ones that have to boldly share the truth with them and speak truth. In fact, on your little insert here, look at... um, This is what a lot of folks are struggling with things, what they're telling themselves. No one will know. It's my body. I won't hurt anyone else. I've got it under control. I'm under a lot of stress. I deserve this. And we're going to be looking at David, King David. He made two big mistakes. He committed adultery. Then Bathsheba got pregnant. So what happened is, in order to cover it up, he went and killed Bathsheba's husband and made it look like it was a death during war when it really wasn't. It was on purpose. So he murdered someone. He committed adultery. And God is going to send a prophet named Nathan to confront him for his sin. So that's what what we see here. I've got it under control. I'm under a lot of stress. I deserve this. I can quit anytime I want. I've lost control in the past, but this time it will be different. So what we want to look here in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12 is, and our main question we're going to be able to answer this morning is, Um, have you ever had to confront someone or have you ever been confronted now when we use the word confront someone we have to make a distinction there's a difference between preferences and this is a sin issue this is an addiction issue preferences all the time you know for example we just saw that conference right there it's in pigeon forge you know there's youth conferences all over What if I wanted to go to the conference in Branson, Missouri? And I go to Zach and say, man, why are we going to Pigeon Forge when we could go to Branson? Well, whichever one, they're still teaching about Jesus. They're still singing and praising the Lord. They're teaching God's Word. Like, that's just a preference right there. And throughout our life, at home, watching TV, what we eat, a lot of daily decisions, most daily decisions, are who drives the car, which way we're going to go home. All of these things are preferences. But a sin issue, when we have to confront someone, that is when, okay, where's a, the, God's law, God's rules have been broken. There's been something disobedient, something wrong has been done. And that's a different scenario, and that's what we're going to see right here. Like, let me give you an example. When I was, uh, my very first job, when I was 15, everybody's first job has to be at a church. I was a church janitor at my mom's church. She taught, teaches school, still does. Then when I was 16, I guess at that point, you can become legally a real worker, because you're 15, that was like under the table work. My dad was a newspaper man, back when people used to read newspapers. He worked for the Birmingham News, he was the editor down there. And when I was 16, I got a minimum wage job as the copy boy. What copy boys do is I just turned 16. So I worked on Friday night. The newspaper would print like at 9, 10 o'clock at night. And I would go grab it off the presses that were downstairs. And then I would go upstairs and distribute them all to the different editors and the writers. And they would read the newspaper and make changes for the second edition. The people out in the country in Alabama, they got the first edition with all the heirs. And the Metro Birmingham people, they got the good one with all the changes in it. So, <clears throat> I love my job. But my third day there, I was 16. And I wasn't used to corporate America because I had been in church. Well, what happened is, and now, this, this is probably like 1994, 93. I was 16. I thought I was cool. So, at the company, they made you wear name badges. Well, I got a name badge, and most sixteen-year-olds look at name badges. I'm not wearing a name badge. Who, who wears a name badge? Now, now everybody wears a name badge. But back in '94, you didn't. You know, if you're sixteen too, who's gonna wear? Like, why would I wear a name badge? So I'm coming in the door, and the head of security guard. This is an example of name correction. It's my third third Friday there, and I walk in the door, and the security guard made a comment to me and says, "Son, you need to. Uh, sir, you need to." called me son I was a little boy son you need to put your uh, name badge on and I mouthed off them like I don't need a name badge I pushed the elevator button went on up to like the fifth floor wherever wherever I worked there with the other folks I thought who who wears a name badge that's what I'm thinking I walked down the hall down the long hallway and got into the, in the where the, the the editor's room was where I my, near my little desk and I got down there and my boss who um who I respected a lot he said, hey Daniel, come here real quick. I mean I hadn't even made I just barely made it up the elevator, walked down the hallway. I was thinking, uh oh, I'm getting called in the <coughs> called in the boss's boss's desk. He said, security guard downstairs just called me and said you were mouthing off him about wearing a name badge. Son, if you're gonna work here, you gotta wear your name badge. So I said, Yes, sir, pulled out my book bag, put it on said, so you need to go down there and apologize to the security guard. I said, yes, sir. Went downstairs with my name badge on. Apologized to the security guard. And I worked there for three years. Never again was there a time I did not wear my name badge. And never again, I don't think I really spoke to the security guard. I learned my lesson quickly in that example. I was young. I needed correction. I was disobedient to the company's rules and rude to that man. That's an example, and I quickly learned how fast. by the time I got up there, now hallway Hours already called, and they nipped that in the bud immediately, that problem. That's an example of when you can correct someone and changes are made and everything worked out great. There are times in our life that we have to be corrected. Most likely, hopefully, when you're on the younger end of life, you're probably going to be in that season of receiving the correction. Hopefully, when you mature as a believer and you get older in life, you're not the one needing as much correction. You're the one giving correction to other folks because you, throughout life, you've learned that. But what we're about to read here in our Bibles, David was in desperate need of correction. Something is about to happen, and God sent a prophet to go talk to him about his mistake. And when folks are struggling with addiction, when folks are wrestling with sin in their life, they're in need of correction. So follow along in your Bible. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. Look what it says here. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he arrived, he said to him, there were two men. Now, first of all, before we keep going, David, as I shared in in the chapter earlier, that was his account of adultery and murder with Bathsheba and then killed Uriah. So you end chapter 11 by David just thinking, going back, he married Bathsheba, got him a new wife. The man's dead. He's, she's going to have a baby. Everything's fine, so we think. We're just going to go back to usual. Yes, we went worked through that issue. Maybe things didn't work out perfectly, but we dealt with it. So all of a sudden, God, who sees everything and knows all of our thoughts, God had a prophet named Nathan. And we don't have time to go back there, but if you flip back a few chapters to 2 Samuel chapter 7, the very first time Nathan came to David, he came to talk to David because David wanted, had, a, had a dream, had a vision that he wanted to build a temple, a place of worship, a house for God. And he, um, God sent Nathan, this prophet, to say, "And everything in, Nathan, in David's life was going really well. God was blessing him with military victories. Israel was expanding. The kingdom was coming together. Well, Nathan came and says, David, God has blessed you, but you're not the man to build the temple because you have blood on your hands because you had so many battles. But one of your heirs, who is Solomon, he will build the temple. But what what I will do for you, the Lord says, through the prophet Nathan, I will make your house forever. David, your house will be an everlasting house. Meaning someone will come from the lineage of David that all people will be saved through. And we know Jesus is from the lineage of David. So in a sense, when you and I, when we give our lives to Christ, when you trust in Christ as your Savior, you become part of the house of David because Jesus was from the lineage of David and we are saved through the blood of Jesus. So we see here, so this is now the second time. So probably when the knock comes at the door... And David sees, oh, look, it's Nathan. Every time he comes here, there's this is only second time. But the first time, the prophet had good news to announce to me. So let's hear some exciting news now. But this news is not exciting. So, and I love the introduction here. Notice there's no hello or good to see you. Let's shake hands. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he arrived, he said to him, here's our, no intro. There were two men in a certain city. One rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. Now let me tell you about this ewe lamb. This is important. Because this is what's going to really make David get upset with this story. It's going to bother him. We know this is in two chapters earlier in chapter 11. It said this was during the time of spring. So what would happen at spring? A ewe lamb is a lamb, a female lamb that's a year old. When, you would, when the Jewish folks would go celebrate Passover, do you know what they would bring? They would bring a ewe lamb. They would bring a one-year-old lamb to offer as their Passover, Passover lamb. So very likely, this is in the spring at the time of Passover, a uh, One small ewe lamb, this is the lamb that this man, this poor man, is going to bring to the temple to offer at his Passover sacrifice. He only has one. He doesn't have the money. So he's bought this lamb for a bigger purpose as an offering. But the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised her, and she grew up with him and with his children. From his meager food she would eat, from his cup she would drink, in his arms, she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now, a traveler came to the rich man. But the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, now, look at this. Now, we're standing on the door at the castle, at the palace. And, da- and Nathan's just telling the story. David thinks this really happened, like... There's some injustice that has occurred in the kingdom, and we need to deal with it. So this traveler and this rich man, it says here, instead he took the rich man, took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guests. Can you all believe that? He stole that man's Passover lamb and went to go prepare it. And he had he could get any lamb he wanted, but he took that one man's lamb. All right, keep going. Verse five. Now this is David's response. Now, you and I, we'd be mad. Can you believe that wealthy man stole from that poor man? That's all he had was that one little lamb. It was his offering. It's like you're going to church somebody steals your money. That was your offering you were going to give the Lord. David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. You know why he says he deserves to die? Because he knew that was a Passover lamb you stole. You robbed from this man his sacrifice. Because he has done this thing and showed no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. Do you know what? That is the Mosaic law in the book of Deuteronomy. It says, if you broke, if you broke the law, and you say Ray Vaski here had a lamb, and I went over there and shot his lamb in the field. I then, according to the law and his lamb died, Pay, had to pay him four lambs back, or I shot his cow, or whatever animal he had. I had to quadruple it. So David knew the Bible. He knew, hey, you're going to steal that man's lamb, you owe him four lambs back. But because that was a Passover lamb for the offering, the you lamb, you should kill the man because that was all he had. He's giving that to the Lord. All right, verse seven. Now, here's the twist. That story wasn't about someone in the kingdom that didn't really happen god gave nathan the prophet that story because david is the wealthy man is the rich man david is the one king david that stole from the poor man his one little lamb and the lamb i want y'all to know we're not talking about a lamb we're talking about his wife David stole Bathsheba from Uriah. Uriah is just a poor man. And all he had is one wife. And the king came and stole her. Then killed, the, killed Uriah about it. Nathan replied to David. So David's now fired up, thinking, what are we going to do about this, Nathan? We've got to go take this man out. Who's doing this? Still in the Passover lamb. Nathan replied to David, you are the man. David, it's you. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from Saul. Saul was the king before David. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. as master meaning Saul. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. You got both. And if that was not enough, I would have given you even more, meaning David, anything you would have wanted. I, the Lord, would have blessed you. You won every single military battle. I gave you the kingship. I have united the people under your leadership. And now here you are stealing from the Lord. Verse 9, look at this. Look at what Nathan says. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You know what? When we sin, do you know who sin is really against? It's against the Lord. The Lord was hurt by David's sin. David murdered and committed adultery. And it did not please the Lord. <clears throat> you struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. And you took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite sword. Verse 10. Now therefore the sword will never leave your house. Because you despised me. And you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. That Starting the next chapter in Second Samuel. David's house, his family, starts to fall apart. Absalom was a rebellious son, raped his half-sister. One event after another occurred in David's house. David could not discipline his children. They went wild. He had to even run away from one of his sons. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on you, From your own family, I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them in broad daylight. Verse 12. You acted in secret, David, but I will do this before all Israel in broad daylight. Now, what happened here? Sin. Nathan is approaching David to confront him of his sin. He has done something wrong. And God wants him to deal with it. Nathan responded to David. Notice he doesn't blame others, he doesn't start making excuses, he doesn't explain what really happened. Let me tell you my point of view here. Let me tell you the complete story. David recognized this was from the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. Immediately, David repented. He recognized that God had sent this prophet to him to convict him and to confront him. Then Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. Do you know who was the one who said we should kill the man? It was David. David was the one that said we should kill that rich man. Well, David was the man. David's condemning himself. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt... Contentment means we just disregard the, God's laws and God's plans for us. In this matter, the son born to you will die. Verse 15, Then Nathan went home. And then it, that verse goes on to say there that in the latter part of verse 15, that the Lord struck their baby, well, it was Bathsheba and David's baby, with an illness. And on the seventh day, the baby died. Now, we see the story here of Nathan church confronting David. And for us, how this applies for us is we have to be able to say, when do we confront people? When do I need to confront someone that has sinned or has sinned against the Lord? Well, there is a verse that helps give us guidance. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. I have got it up here on the board. This is Paul writing. It lets us know about wondering, okay, do I just go around confronting everyone? Look what Paul says to help us understand this. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? So Let's stop right there. <clears throat> Paul's saying, when he says judge, he means to confront, to say this is sinful. Now, outsiders, these are people who are not saved. So, for example... If you go watch TV, if you turn on the internet, you go to the movies, you go out to eat after this service, you go to the mall, you will see probably sin or immorality. Something wrong will be going on. And a lot of these folks that are doing this are not saved. It might be folks at school, at work. They do not know the Lord. They're what the Bible calls an outsider. People who do not know Jesus are spiritually dead. They're lost. They're going to hell, the Bible says. Our business as Christians is not to just go around saying, thou shalt not do this, don't do this, because a lost person is going to behave like lost people do. You can't expect an unchurched lost person in the UK to behave like they know the Lord. They're not going to do it. They are spiritually dead. It's like yesterday we went fishing, and we brought the dog. If why do you bring a dog when you go fishing? I have no idea. But we were in Scott County. We went fishing. What does the dog do? Dog starts. I mean, we got lines out, and the dog's jumping and splashing in the water on top of the lines. Like you hook the dog. You know, when you do that, you don't catch any fish. Like it doesn't happen. They don't bite. I mean, they're scared to death of the thing. We're scared to death of things. It's just going crazy in the, in the water. <laughs> You're going, why aren't the fish biting? Well, they're probably on the far end of that lake, in the long and They just swim and swim and swim because they're not getting anywhere in this commotion. Like, that's what a dog does. Dogs love in, to jump in the water. Lost people, by default, they love to sin. The Bible calls them outsiders. Don't you judge those who are inside. Inside means us. Guys, that's the church. We hold each other accountable when when there's sin in the house of God. When one of us as a brother or sister in Christ is in disobedience to the Lord, it's your and I's responsibility to confront them. Now we do it. We speak truth in love. I mean, you, the goal is repentance. The goal is that they turn back to the Lord and they acknowledge, Hey, this was wrong. This was a sin. The goal is not I'm just gonna. Go around slaughtering people and uh, letting you know how right, holy and righteous I am. The goal is like Nathan wanted David to repent of that sin. Now, there's consequences. There's consequences of sin, but God wants you and I to repeat, repent. Verse 13, look at this next verse here. God judges outsiders. Do y'all know that? We allow God to judge those people that do not know him. And they will be judged. Because they do not know Christ. Our job, the accountability we give, is to one another. This is important because you think about, uh, on your little little handout here, it says here, God sent the prophet David, I'm midway down, there's a fill in the blank, to confront, prophet Nathan, to confront David about his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. David confessed his sin. Do you know from that, he wrote Psalm 51. What it is, is David just thought, okay, we've dealt with this issue. Too bad your eyes died. I married his wife Bathsheba, and we're going to move on. But look at this. Addiction breeds in silence. It doesn't just get better. The problem doesn't go away. When sin has been committed... It is your and I responsibility. God speaks and raises us up. We either need to be the person who repents or we need to be the one that confronts. And the goal of confronting someone is to show them, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Bible says about what you're doing or what you're struggling with. Do you know if you go to an AA meeting one of the basic principles of Alcoholics Anonymous is that if you don't want to go to the meeting, do you know what that means? You need to go to the meeting. That's one of the first things they tell you. And that same principle applies in the context of church. Except God is the one that determines that we must meet with him, with him and with one another. If you feel like you don't want to go to church, if you don't want to be in the presence of other believers, That means, that's an indicator that you need to go to church. When you feel like you don't want to do it, is the exact reason you need it the most. God has created the church for us to come in here to know one another. Your closest friends should be at Broadway Baptist Church. You should be connected to a small group. You should be doing life with people in this building. You should be inviting people over, going out to eat, having discipleship group, Bible studies. That's what our church does all throughout the week here. Creates those experiences. That's why we go to Pigeon Forge. That's why nine ladies from our church right now are in Pigeon Forge. That's why Chris is going to Pigeon Forge. I mean, we got everybody. Gosh, everybody's going to Pigeon Forge. I mean, I guess that's the place to go. But that's what you do. You're coming to know folks in that setting If God is leading, listen to this, if God is leading you to speak truth and love to someone, meaning you're going to have to have a a serious conversation about a serious sin they've committed, and you don't want to do it, you just say, God, I really don't want to say anything. People get upset, it ruffles feathers, it just causes conflict. If you don't want to do it, that means you need to do it. Do you all follow me? When When you know the Lord wants you and you go through okay it's not a preference there's a sin that's been committed this person is a brother in christ they know the lord god you want me to say something then at that point when you don't do it you're in disobedience and that's why you need to do it by us not wanting to do it is god saying you need to do it god sent nathan to confront david over his sin and we have to say in our life there's a lot of times we're on both ends of this there's a lot of times like when I was 16 years old i needed to be confronted i smarted off to the security guard i had to put my name badge on it was rude to him there's other times in life that we're the ones that we need to say hey hey son hey hey we can't do that that's out of line you need to apologize you need to extend forgiveness now what's interesting about this is david when he was confronted over his sin If you notice the thing, what he said, he looked at Nathan and said, I have sinned against the Lord. Meaning, he confessed his sin right away. He acknowledged, I've done wrong, I'm repentant. And then Nathan, in God, it actually says, if you go back, look at that verse there. Look at what it says. This is such a powerful verse. David says, verse... 13, David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That is what we call repentance. Nathan replies. He didn't say, well, good job, way to go. He says, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. Meaning, David repented, God forgave. You confront someone over sin and they repent, we have to forgive. Forgiveness is part of what it means to be a believer. One of the attributes and characteristics of God is that he is a forgiving God. He forgave David. Now, there's consequences. David's family fell apart after this. Things didn't go well. Solomon, after Solomon was reigned, he died. The whole kingdom split. Solomon's heart went astray. He saw his dad cheating and he ended up with 700 wives. He, it's just generational sin that occurred for him. But look up here on the board. This is important. There's three things I want to bring out the power of forgiveness. When you speak truth in love, and that's what we're talking about this morning, you're asking someone to repent and you forgive them. That's what you're doing. You go and you confront that person and you're calling them to repentance. And if they, like David, say, I have sinned against the Lord, what I'm doing is wrong, you, by default, have to forgive that person. Why? Because Jesus forgave us. Look at this. Look up here. Jesus has forgiven you, past, present, and future. Therefore, you must forgive others. Jesus Christ, when you get saved, He's forgiven you and I of our sins. Therefore, we forgive must forgive others. David stole that man's Passover lamb, and that, or that rich man stole, as example of the Passover lamb, took something that's very sacred, and he made it common. David stole his wife, and that man's life, Uriah's life, killed him, and just made it, uh, no big deal. That was the sin. Christ forgave him. He's forgiven us of our past sins, our current sins, and the future. Therefore, if Jesus Christ can forgive you, church member, believer, you must forgive other people. Secondly, see here, God has forgiven you for a lot, not a little. You know, when God forgives you, it's not for a little bit. He has forgiven you a lot. Our sin is great. He is the one that has forgiven us. And we can never forget the the amount That he has forgiven us for. Number three, you must remember that all sin is ultimately against God, including addiction. So what happens is when it says here, I have sinned against the Lord. What that means is David recognized that even though Nathan's confronting him, the real sin is against Christ. Now, we're going to conclude a little differently. I have a video here, it's on Psalm 51, because I want to give you some background. And I'm going to invite everyone to go ahead and stand up, because this is going to lead up into our invitation. Because this psalm here, Psalm 51, when David was confronted by Nathan, he wrote this psalm. And the words are going to be up here on the screen. I want you to watch these words. He wrote these verses reflecting and telling his heart, he poured it out to the Lord. So when we read and we watch this verse, we watch this video up on the screen, we're going to see it. Psalm 51, prayer of restoration. This came from a man who recognized I have sinned against the Lord. In Broadway Baptist Church, if we have a sin in our hearts, we have addictions, we're struggling with this, we need to respond the exact same way. All right, we're going to watch this video.
5: Psalm 51, A Prayer for Restoration Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion, wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone I have sinned, and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, the God of my salvation, And my tongue will sing of your righteousness lord open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise you do not want a sacrifice or i would give it you are not pleased with a burnt offering the sacrifice pleasing to god is a broken spirit god you will not despise a broken and humbled heart in your good pleasure cause zion to prosper build the walls of jerusalem then you will delight in righteous sacrifices whole burnt offerings Then bulls will be offered on your altar.
0: This morning you have an opportunity to respond. Daniel's going to be down front. If you need to repent of something in your life or simply want to pray, this altar is open as we worship together.
1: Every song we could ever sing, worthy of all the praise we could ever bring, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We're there for you, Jesus. The name above every. the only one who could ever say worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you we live for you holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up Jesus the name above every other name Jesus the only one who could ever say Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Oh we live for you And holy there is no one like There is none beside you. Open up my eyes.
0: this morning we pray that you know and that you understand that the response doesn't stop here but the spirit can move at any time and so we want you to know that our door is always open if you want to talk more about what it means to be a member here at broadway or to follow jesus we would love to have that conversation with you i'm going to introduce you to uh, ray vaskey ray is our chairman of deacons and uh, ray's going to pray for us as we exit this morning I mean, you're dismissed. Have a good afternoon.